Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Early in the morning. <laughs> That's how our text begins, right? Early morning. Early in the morning. Does this feel early to you guys? No. No? <laughs> uh, let's see, as I open my Bible, I'm thinking, okay, uh, where are we at? What, what book are we in? I could go to... The book of Acts. No, 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 that's not it. That's Wednesdays. i got a thing tonight at Millersburg. Is it Habakkuk? No, it's not there. Where are we at? We're in Mark. Okay. Get my mind to think right here. Now that's a miracle. That's supernatural. <laughs> yep. Mark 15, verse 1. Early in the morning. And it was early. The chief priest with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is, as you say. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. And help us to be able to understand further this story that we've heard so much. That it's not just old hat, but something that is fresh for us today. That we can understand what Christ went through for us. In His Son's name, Amen. Amen. Against the black backdrop of man's sin, so black, so dark, the evil of sin. It was so evil it put Jesus on trial. And it was so evil He was crucified. Now, against that is the bright, shining glory of Jesus Christ in this whole story. You see both. You see the evil of mankind. And He did what His mind did does. And I think this is the ultimate peak that man does, is to kill God. 
course, God is not dead. How many of you heard of that film going around? God is not dead. A lot better than Noah. <laughs> that movie is terrible. Haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. Well, God's in control of all of this. This is His predetermined plan that Christ would be crucified, that He would have His Son crucified, and at the same time, the Jews and the Romans are responsible for His death. And I know the mind has a hard time wrapping around that, but God's mind doesn't at all. God has a mind that goes far beyond what we can think here and now, but at the same time, we can grasp a little bit of it. It's God's plan that His Son would be delivered up by evil men and put on trial in absolute illegal ways. Every bit of it was illegal. The God of the universe is put on trial by man. Whoa, man. How little He is. There wasn't a shred of... Evidence! Not at all. No evidence. No testimony could line up together. They couldn't be consistent. Testimonies were actually horrendous. It was a laughing stock. This all demonstrates the wisdom of God. The shining glory of God is seen in something that is so bad, yet it's so good because without it we wouldn't be saved. We wouldn't even be here, would we? The magnificent glory of God shining brightly. What a display. It seems to be the most catastrophic moment ever in the history of the universe. The killing of God's Son. But God's plan actually takes away our sin. Isn't that good to know? The sin had to be paid for because God is so good, He is so holy, He is so just... His demands of justice have to be met, or otherwise He is not a good, holy, just, righteous God. It has to be done. And this is the only way. There was no other way that God's justice could be met. Because God came up with it. There are no other solutions. This was it. We are staring right at the very Word of God that is so tremendous And yet we've heard it so often that we tend to just kind of let it fly by over our heads. But you delve into these stories, and it's true, every bit of it. Isn't it baffling that man would murder somebody who did absolutely nothing wrong in his life ever? Now, there are innocent people who have done no crimes and have been put to jail under terrible justice. We've heard of those stories. They're terrible. But they've done wrong things in their life. Probably they've done some things that they should have gone for, to jail for and didn't, right? And maybe some of us have had that same thing. Yeah, that's where I should be. But you know what? The thing is that this one was perfect. He did everything absolutely right. He gave them truth. He did thousands of miracles upon thousands of miracles upon thousands of miracles. Did it for people. And yet, people want to kill Him. Now, who or why would anybody in their right mind want to do that? Well, I think that's it. That's the problem. There is nobody in their right mind, the righteous mind, Righteous mind of God. For 
there is no man good. There is no man who has done good in the nature, in their very nature. People are inclined to think evil. That is their nature. That is what they do. That's what we did before Christ. And some people don't want interruptions to come into their lives because everything is going the way that they want it. And if somebody starts interrupting by showing their sin, then they don't want to be bothered by that and they would do anything to get rid of somebody bringing on guilt to them. So, this king who came to them, they reject. And they reject religiously. That's going to kind of be one of the points we're hitting on. Socially, that's another point. And they reject politically. And the stakes are high. Stakes are high as people are confronted with truth. Jesus claimed to be truth. He is the truth. And whenever He hit them with the truth, they were challenged by that truth. And either either they were changed and entered into eternal life, or they didn't change. And they're killers of Christ. Now, Pilate is one of the key characters in our text today. He happens to be the Roman governor. He's a pagan governor. And he was even challenged by the truth. The truth was standing right in his face. Face to face with truth. And he did do something that he didn't really want to do, but there were motives and there were things that uh, he couldn't control. And it seemed like he had the authority and the power to let Jesus go and he tried everything that he knew. But yet there are some religiously motivations and there are then uh, political, social motivations that keep him from doing the right thing. And so it goes today. People have uh, those kind of motives, even though they know that that's not the right thing to do. So he actually did yield up Christ after many times of trying to keep him from being crucified. Even though the story goes that Jesus goes before Pilate on trial, it's really the other way around. It is, as the title has it today, Pilate before Christ. If you have your outlines on your bulletin there. Pilate is before Christ. Pilate is before the judge. Even though in the story reading here, it looks like the other way around, but ultimately we know who is in charge here. The Pilate is standing before the Holy One. Pilate is the one who's really on trial. Jesus is the judge. So, here we go. We will look at um, these religious and social and political motivations uh, of why uh, Jesus, this perfect one, holy one, will be crucified. Starting at verse 1, we have the religiously motivated rejection of the king. The religious. Early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. That first verse right there is pretty packed, isn't it? Who are the people who uh, are arresting him here? Well, it's the religious people. 
And they intend to find him guilty. Matter of fact, even before his trial, they've already found him guilty, haven't they? Matter of fact, they have not only waited for uh, that, but they've already sentenced him to death before the trial. It's just a matter of going through formalities. And so here we are. Uh, There was a mock trial that we looked at last week, and that was before the high priest, Annas, and he was the older guy. And um, so he is going to be the one that kind of uh, got things started. Jesus goes there. Uh, It's a mock indictment. They're indicting Jesus there. And uh, so this is Annas. And so he gives him off then to Caiaphas, who is the high priest. Uh, Annas had been a, a previous high priest. He's a little bit older. They kind of... Uh, by title, you know, he still keeps the title, but he's actually in charge behind the scenes. And But he gives him up now to um, Caiaphas. You know the story there. You have the false witnesses. They're bribed. There's a lie there. The testimony is inconsistent. We looked at that last week. Um, and they finally get Jesus to say something. And um, he is under oath at that time. So he did say something and he's really claimed to be the Messiah. Claimed to be God. That is what they wanted because there's your blasphemy. Now they have something that can stick. But what if he is God? Right? So, we've had Annas, the trial there. We have Caiaphas, the trial there. It's very early in the morning. And we're probably talking 1, 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning. This shouldn't be happening at that time. We know that. Probably around 3, that trial ends and Peter's denials end. That's what we looked at. So from 3 to 5, probably, just kind of estimating, Jesus is held as a prisoner. The Creator of the universe is held as a prisoner. It's just baffling, isn't it? He's going to be spit on. He is going to be beaten. He's going to be slapped. And He's just blasphemed for several hours, you know. Just, you know, they, they keep it up. Sunrise is going to be somewhere around 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, the, I don't think they had uh, daylight savings time at that time. So they, probably the sun's coming up. And the Sanhedrin gets together. As you'll notice, we have the chief priests, the elder scribes, and the whole council. Now we have the Supreme Court. Now we have everybody to, together there. And we have to make this thing legal. We've tried to be legal all the way, but it, nothing's been legal, right? And so now they're going to be legal because court has to be done in the daytime. So here's trial number three, which they've already decided what they're going to do. And uh, But they are legal here. You notice? going to do it every morning. So it has that appearance. And Mark uh, had said that they made their judgment in the middle of the night. We've seen that. Matthew says the same thing. Now Luke tells us that uh, that morning trial made it look legal. What they have to do now, we've gone through, this is the Supreme Court, the council, and this is where they uh, make it official. Everybody knows that. Now it's going to have to go up a step higher. It has to go to the Romans. And that's they, they bind Jesus and they lead him away to Pilate. I noticed this uh, at the end of the first verse, they delivered him to Pilate. They delivered him up. They delivered him up. 
Now, they're delivering him up all right. You know, they're going through that. But uh, really, it's God who delivers him up. And Christ has the power to uh, have this done the way that it's supposed to be done. Nobody can take his life unless he allows that, permits it. So, but we know that, that God is really doing this. And we've seen that before. We've seen that in Scripture where he delivers him up. Delivering him up to the Romans here. And um, they hate Jesus. Why would you kill this most amazing man? And for one thing, we'll go through a few answers here. Why would they do this? Well, he's a, a real threat to their power. He's a threat to their job. I mean, they have the power. They're running this deal. I mean, isn't that what people want? The power and the money? And they have everything, right? They had that kind of gig going, and that was pretty good for them. And this guy comes in and rudely interrupts what they're doing. Take the power. So the 70, which is the council, the Supreme Court, are the power brokers of the land. Jesus' ministry had been loosening the grip these three and a half years. They are not going to allow this to happen. I think power is addicting. We've heard of all the stories of kings who have absolute monarchical reign, and they usually take advantage of it, don't they? Anybody who's in power, it seems that's where it usually goes with man's depravity with his uh, way of uh, being a natural man, desiring to sin. If he gets an opportunity, he wants more. See, people are never satisfied. Once you get at a point, it's like, okay, that's where I want to be now. That's you know, I don't have to do anything. No, they want more. Ask a millionaire how much more that he wants, and he would say, I want the next million. You know, and then you get to be a billionaire, and say, I need the next billion. It never stops. People are never satisfied. The way to glorify God most is to be content with Him. You say, how can I glorify God? Just be content. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, are you content? And if you are, you're glorifying God right there. Be at rest. Be at peace. I'm content with where God has put me. Boy, that's pretty simple, isn't it? But it's pretty profound. Power. They have to. I, I think this this power is so addicting that they are so controlled by the power they can kill somebody. That can support their habit. They've got a habit, an addiction. You have a habit. You have to have more. You have to keep having it. You got to have more. So there we go. So the killing people actually kill for their next fix. Well, he didn't fit their system. Number two. That's why they killed him. Doesn't fit the system. Christ didn't fit the expectations of the system. If he would have come on with a power that could take on the Roman Empire with his military expertise and take them out of the picture, they would have gladly brought him on in. Being one of the 70 even. You know what? He's not a peasant king. He is the king of the kingdom. 
of God, which nobody could see at that time. He didn't come in with armies and banners and showing how militaristic they were. Number three, another reason why people would kill Jesus is that he exposed their sin. This is probably what really got him. When somebody directly, personally, comes in and disturbs their life and shows their sin as he did at the temple when he cleansed the temple and then he had the dialogues with them all that week and he exposed where they're at. These are the intelligentsia. These are the people of the day that everybody looked to and he left them out to dry every time. That's our triumphant king, folks. The best of the best couldn't even stump him. And he exposed their persons. And they hate it when that sin is seen. And they've been trying to kill him for a while or try to get a hold of him at that right time. But I'll tell you, when he did what he did at the temple, and then he uh, was able to answer those questions and turn the tables on them, that was it. This is going to be done. So people don't like to be interrupted and... They like their sin. They like to stay where they're at in that sin. They are comfortable in that sin. So, there's the first aspect about the the motivation. We're talking about the religious people who do this. They are motivated because of their religion and being the power that they have. Now, 2 through 15, the next section there, that's dealing with part 1 here. The socially motivated people. And this is what Pilate is. They bring him to Pilate, the Roman governor. They've already pronounced him guilty. What's the deal? Why do you have to bring him to Pilate? Look in John 18.31. You probably already know that answer, but it's kind of interesting to see what kind of position that the Jews were in at that time, politically. Pilate never has been one that's really fit in with the Jews very good. At, uh, there they go with him. He's caused some problems for them. But he doesn't want to get in any further hot water with them, though, either. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. Well, they already did. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. There's certain things that they could do in their court, but they cannot put somebody to death. That's what the Romans do. And it says, to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. They will crucify me. The Romans crucified. The Jews used to stone people to death. This is a crucifixion. The stoning would have taken place and it would have been done, as Mark says, immediately. Wouldn't take very long. You put one of those huge, almost like boulders, and let them roll on you, and then everybody else gets to take up the stones and rocks and start firing those things at him. You know, that's that's how they would stone people. Well, the Jews now um, bring this forth to him, and he, you know, he doesn't want any part of it. But the sword has been taken away from the Jews for that purpose, so they get permission. Before the religious Jew, there was the charge of blasphemy. 
Now before the Romans, it's going to have to be something different. Because they could care less about the Jewish religion. They could care less about somebody claims to be God. Matter of fact, in the Roman Empire, there were millions of gods anyway. There was an idolatrous empire before it suddenly one day became Christian automatically. (laughs) Many years later. We have to turn this into treason, they say. Jews knew that Pilate wasn't interested in religious matters, so this charge that they have is going to have to be something that gets his attention. And if it can be somebody that would overthrow the imperial Roman power, then it's something to take note of. So that's what they're trying to get at. And that's why in verse 2, Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? So evidently they have told him about that. Here's the charge. The, the real charge was that he said he was God. But they say, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, is this what you say? So there, there we have um, what is happening. Uh, Pilate gets his answer there. It is as you say. And uh, I think it would be good to maybe look at Pilate just for a moment. Maybe a refresher course on this guy. Uh, to understand what uh, the dynamics are here of his rejection that he will have. Um, He had been in charge of the military. Uh, There were civil matters, uh, appointments that he had had. He was an administrator, very heavy-minded at that. You know, he's a guy that take control. He had insulted the Jews a few times because he could But that kind of time is running out on him because it's not looking good when it goes back to the Roman government that you have problems with the people that you are administering over. He comes to Jerusalem at certain times. This being the Passover is a time that he needs to be there with the Roman cohort. So you have a lot of soldiers around and you have a lot of people there. Uh, You can have a rebellion. Well, he'd caused a rebellion before when he'd come into Rome having his soldiers bring flags in, banners, flags, and they were images of Caesar coming into Jerusalem. Now, that'd be a little upsetting if you saw one of the uh, nations of our day bringing in some famous leader and he's taking over. That'd be a little disturbing, wouldn't it? And there's going to be uprisings, I can guarantee you. And that definitely happened. Another thing that he did is he got into the the temple treasury. Yeah, the, the religious aspect. The temple treasury. Uh, the, you remember the, the deal about Corbin? Uh, Corbin is uh, where the people would uh, hold back the money, really, that they should be helping maybe their family with, their parents with, and instead, oh, it's tied up for the temple and that money is, is now there. I'd, I'd like to help you out, but I can't do anything about it now. You know, it's for the temple. And, uh, anyway... Um, he used that money that came out of the Jewish savings and built an aqueduct for it. He's not supposed to do that. Matter of fact, anybody that rose up against him, he took plain clothes soldiers. They wouldn't know who they were, and all of a sudden the soldiers knew who uh, you know they they came in, and if they saw some uprising, they'd take care of it. Well, he wound up losing his job in. Uh, of course, Israel area that he had. He lost his job when he ordered his uh, cavalry, his soldiers, to attack Samaritans up north there. 
and then later he took his own life. So we get to see the story of uh, Pilate there. We see how that kind of works in. And Jesus was delivered up to him. Uh, God delivered him up to this Roman ruler. The charge of high treason. And uh, they're saying this man would like to be king. This man here is trying to be king of the, of the world. <laughs> so all of a sudden, they've become really legal, haven't they? You know, they're so righteous. They don't want the responsibility of executing Jesus because, oh no, we can't do that. We have to turn him over to the Romans. See, You see what's going on? They, if they really wanted him killed and they didn't want to go through all that, they probably could have taken him on the, the backside somewhere and just secretly done it. But no, they are legal people. And they know what is right. So they have to give Pilate some reason for Jesus and his problem that he has. I mean, it has to be really serious for her to get him crucified. And I think in uh, if you look in Luke 23, verse 2, they began to accuse him, as it says he brought him for Pilate, and they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation perverting our nation. That's one thing they say. For And forbidding to pay taxes to the Jews? No. For To Caesar. And saying that he himself is Christ the King. So he's perverting the nation. He's forbidding to pay taxes. And he's claiming to be king. Now those are some pretty high treason charges there. They're all false. They're all lies. He never perverted the nation. And he never forbid to pay taxes. As a matter of fact, he did pay taxes. As a matter of fact, he even had Peter throw in... Well, actually, you know, get that fish. You know, just in, actually gave him a fish. And had that coin there. Pay your taxes. And Jesus paid taxes. You know, He followed the law. He's righteous and whatever needed to be done. He did that, sure. He just had different ways of doing it sometimes. And he can do that. Because he owns it all, doesn't he? Can you imagine Jesus paying taxes to man and even a bad empire like that? And the bad religious leaders? Amazing. Look at verse 5 of Luke 23. But they kept on insisting. They just kept on insisting and on and on. He stirs up the people, teaching over all Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. Just everywhere. He's just messing it all up. He's messing you guys up. You better do something about it. He's going to have to be killed. Now, we get the silence of Jesus. We know that uh, if, as we look back in Mark 15, Matter of fact, he's he's agreeing. He said, "Yeah, it is as you say." But then, the, the chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Now he's getting accused. Chief priest, you know, you're this. You know, he's actually before Pilate, and man, they start one after another. Man, they come up with false things about him. It's easy for people to do that. Boy, they can build things up and make it look like something totally different than what's going on. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, "Do you not answer?" Do do you not answer? See how many charges they're they're bringing against you. He's he's almost like saying, "Come on, go for it." I don't. It's almost like he's saying, "I don't believe it." Go ahead. You know, 
fire away. They're, they're charging you. you. You have the opportunity to speak up. You can do it right here. Jesus didn't say a thing. And that takes us back to our Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet He did not open His mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. You know, we sang a song this morning, right? Which song was that? Yeah. And as I was playing that, I go, oh yeah, this is a song that has that. Yeah. That's why we did it. All right, all right. Bingo, you're right right on head, right there. Because this is what this is all about. He is in total control. He speaks only when it is necessary and it's really dealing with who he is. But all the other questions, he's not going to bother to say anything against those false trumped up charges. What is there to say? So, you know, Jesus, aren't you going to say anything to defend yourself? And so he's thinking, no, I'm the lamb. It is for the slaughter. Of course, we see that in other passages. see it in the Gospel. see it in Peter. Peter really brought it up. Because I think Peter, before the Holy Spirit came, I think Peter would have answered all those charges. And he would have uh, quickly ran to the defense of of his own self. (laughs) And I think we would too. But this is the way it is to be. Well, tell you, Pilate is uh, pretty sharp. He keeps trying to come up with different ways to avoid this thing. So we know that uh, do not answer, see how many charges are against you, but Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. He's amazed that, come on, you can you can do this here if this, if this is the case. Now we go into being sent to Herod. Now the feast, at the feast, this is Passover, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. Anybody. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionist, by the way, who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. And Pilate answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? doesn't mention Barabbas or anybody. You know, he said, well, how about king of the Jews? He's right here. Uh, if you've already uh, accused him and put him on trial and put a charge, you can get him out of that and then everything's cool. It's all right. I'll do that. You know, he goes to great lengths here. For he is aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. Pretty sharp guy. That's probably why he got such a position that he did. I mean, this guy's no dummy, Pilate. World standards. In some other ways he is, though, isn't he? But um, it was envy. They didn't, uh, he didn't really care about that. But the chief priest had stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. So there we go. Um, by the way... Um, at this time, according to other Gospels, he was sent to Herod. So you have the three Jewish trials, Annas, Caiaphas, Supreme Court. Now he's gone before Pilate, or Pilate's gone before him. And so Pilate says, okay, he's going to wind up going to Herod. Herod's there in town too. And a matter of fact, he's real close by. 
And um, so he's trying to pass the buck here a little bit since he's in that area and he's kind of somewhat Jewish but not really much. Uh, he's the ruler of Galilee. And that's where Jesus, most of his ministry is from. That's where he had been uh, living. And uh, this time, he, uh, this Pilate is, can release prisoners. National fervor here. So he could release the prisoner. That's what he's trying to do. Now he goes before Herod. And just briefly, we'll cover Herod here. Herod, we remember there was Herod the Great. That was at the time of uh, before Christ and he was building the temple. He lived shortly during the time of early years of Christ. Herod, uh, that Herod the Great, he was Idumean. He really wasn't Jewish, but he's ruling Israel. He's there, I guess you can say, king. Uh, an amazing builder. He built, really added on to the temple. And what we know is that great temple, uh, whenever Jesus was there, was at that time, I think he died in 4 B.C., but uh, there are different time periods, B.C., A.D., you know, somewhere about the birth of Christ that we know that, but we know of Herod the Great when we see it in the Gospels, so that helps us there. Um, he ruled for, actually, uh, you had Herod Antipas, who really was one at that, all during that time. And he ruled for like 40, 40 years, I guess, somewhere in that vicinity. He ruled like all the other Herods. There were like three, uh, a vassal of Rome, serving Rome, pleasing Rome for everything. And, uh, you know, he was educated in Rome, you know, very uh, Romish, I guess you could say. He is empowered by Rome. He's a vassal. He's just serving the purpose of Rome. He, He really doesn't have really that much power, but it makes it look like he does in a way. He's a petty king. And uh, all the Herods were builders, man. They built like like uh, 12 cities. All those Herods. Sepphoris was one of them. Largest city in, in Galilee. You don't see it in the Bible, but um, archaeological discoveries and the story is that, that that city was not too far from Nazareth. Kind of interesting. Quite a place that was built there around 8 to 10 A.D. Jesus definitely knew about that city. That's a place where Jews didn't really go or like to go. Probably very, very Gentilish. Uh, okay, something about this Herod. He's the one who killed John the Baptist. Ah, remember up in Galilee area? He killed John the Baptist. He, actually, he was responsible for it. Had his head cut off because he was in a situation, socially, that uh, he went ahead and did that he didn't really want to do. He was guilty. Boy, he had all kinds of guilt. Because of that guilt, whenever he heard of the things that Jesus did, even after John the Baptist was dead, what did he say? That's got to be John the Baptist doing that. Oh, it haunted him from there on out. So Herod meets Jesus. Finally meets Jesus. There he is, face to face. He's heard about him. Jesus had called him that fox. Very deceptive. Herod meets Jesus and, you know, Herod is not impressed at all. Matter of fact, this is a joke. This is an absolute joke. What a beleaguered man that comes before him. And he sees him, you know, he's beat up already. That's been happening. He doesn't look like much at all. He's not a threat to anybody. So he's in Jerusalem. 
He's in the Hasmonean palace and that's a beautiful place. So he sits there and starts firing out questions to Jesus. He thinks this is his time. He's been haunted with guilt and everything and this John the Baptist thing. He's heard about Jesus' miracles. He's going to get to judge Jesus. Jesus doesn't answer a question. That had to be really frustrating to Herod. Because this is the time that he's really going to get him, you know. Now, Sanhedrin had asked him a you know, question, a legitimate question. Yes, I am the Messiah. Did the same thing with Pilate. That's about all he's answering. And he doesn't say anything to defend himself whatsoever. So we wind up seeing what um, what they do um, this whole time. It's a comedy. This whole thing is a, it's a part of a comedy that's really starting to crank up. You know what I mean? I mean, this thing's really getting going now. The, this man is a king. <laughs> Herod's seeing this. and This man is a threat. Well, that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I think Herod actually probably wanted to say, Hey, you can have him back. I agree with you. How could he be taking a kingdom? You know, how could he be taking over? This guy's nothing. He's not anything what I thought he was. And if he can get in this situation, can't get out of it, he's nothing. So he sent him back without any kind of sentence, without any kind of education. That's he just sends you back. Look in Luke twenty three, fifteen. Twenty three fifteen. No, nor has Herod. Talking about charges, says in, let's read fourteen. You brought this man to me, Pilate says, as one who incites the people to rebellion, and behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. He's just looking at truth and looking at the silly charges they're bringing. He says, Nor no, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. <laughs> and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Even Herod didn't do that. He, you know, he, he could have said, what a ridiculous, get him out of here, kill him. You know, just sends him back to Pilate. Pilate's hated by the Jews. Of course, the idolatry and everything. Jesus is not guilty is what Pilate's saying. That makes them more mad at him. He's not going along with their story. Let's look at John 18.38. Keep referring to parallel passages. Pilate said to him, remember this one, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, as after having a conversation with Jesus, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom. I have released someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? <laughs> so they cried out again saying, No, this man. Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Alright, now let's, uh, let's get into this kind of a blunder of, of Pilate. He has some tactics that he's doing. He's going to wind up giving amnesty to Barabbas. That's not his plan. It's really for Jesus. He offers to release this man called Barabbas. Uh, Barabbas was a murderer and a, and a rebel. It's like he's pitting the worst against the one that's over here is the most innocent. 
And nobody is going to say, we want Barabbas. That's what he's thinking. If you bring out the... uh, Charles Manson. And nobody's going to say, well, release him. Unless they're crazy too. Apparently these people are crazy. Crazy sinful, right? Well, this, this guy's a murderer. And they say, bring him out. That's how loony things had gotten. Just crazy stuff. And with his thinking, and he's thought pretty good along through it, you've got to give him some credit here. You know, he's trying to get this thing leveled off, but he, he, still socially, he's, he's got to protect his job. You know, okay, if it means him being killed and I keep my job, he can be killed. Now, would you keep your job if somebody would die? And you know, it, maybe I, I'll just back off then. You know, whatever comes, comes. Oh, no, he's not going to lose his job out of this. But he well could have. What a right could have been going there. Pilate thought this was a no-brainer. We bring up somebody here as the most guiltiest man, a murderer, everybody knows it. They don't respect him. Who would choose a wicked murderer over this innocent lamb kind of a guy? He's like a, a street guy to them, the way that he looks now, you know? So he gives a choice to the people, and it really actually turns out to be a blunder. Because guess who gets released? Barabbas gets released legally. Probably shouldn't have suggested him. <laughs> but hey, he thought that's going to work. Well, I would have thought that too. So he's got another thing up his sleeve. Okay. Oh, boy, what do I do with these guys? That's what he says in 12. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? What am I going to do with him? You know, he's not guilty. I can't have him crucified. Uh, They shouted back, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? Do you see the point? How often has he said this? But they shouted all the more. Now you've got almost like a riot thing. Crucify him! Crucify him! Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas. That's what they said. Release Barabbas. And so, his next suggestion is this. Listen, I'll tell you what. We'll scourge him. What we're going to do now is something very drastic. But maybe it'll it'll show to the people, right, that, hey, he's just a poor creature. So they have him out. Maybe the sympathy of the people because they actually used the whip with the pieces of bone and rock and lead, sharp edges, stripping into the skin, going into even the intestines. Organs are exposed to sight. And Pilate would say, Behold the man, or behold the poor creature here. Have pity on him. Look at that. That was his, really his last solution. And you would think these religious people would at least have some kind of compassion on a man standing there with blood all over him, skin ripped out, entrails actually hanging out of your body. And that would make somebody die quicker when they were put on the cross. It's amazing, folks, what they did with him, how he was able to live through the crucifixion until it was time to die. 
And he died exactly when God had planned it. Most men would have been dead with the flogging that they gave him. Wow. 52, Isaiah 52.14 This all ties one with, with your Isaiah 53. Uh, one of the greatest passages in all the Bible, folks. I'm just amazed by this passage written 700 years before Christ. And in chapter 52 and in chapter 53 we get the suffering servant. Especially in chapter 53. Uh, he's an exalted servant. He is a servant. Isaiah presents him as a servant. The book of Mark presents Jesus as a servant for the people. He came to die for the ransom of many. Verse 14. Isaiah 52.14 Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so His appearance was marred more than any man. I think it's talking about at this time. And His form, more than the sons of men. Uh, Verse 2 of Isaiah 53. He grew up before Him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty. I think even in His life, there wasn't anything about Him physically that attracted people. He didn't have the blue eyes and the blonde hair and just strutted around. People go, oh, isn't that a nice-looking man? Let's, and the crowds gather because he looks like a Hollywood star. He looks about as, just as average as a Jew could be. Nothing about him outwardly, but I think also we're pointing what happened at the cross. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem Him. His appearance was marred. His form, all of it's marred. And you go to John 19.12. They tore Him up probably more than any other man they had beaten. 19.12 As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down in the judgment seat at a place called the pavement. Everybody could see. But in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was a day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Brings him out. There he is. Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to him, Shall I crucify your king? Then the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So they handed him over to them to be crucified. Pilate feels that maybe the sense of mercy and compassion, he's beaten and battered and bruised, He is totally scourged. He's handed over at the end of uh, verse 15. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And having Jesus scourged, he handed him over, delivered him over, now to be crucified. There it is. He tried all all the tricks. Didn't work. Luke 23, 16, Pilate said, I will punish him and release him. He punished him. But he released him in a sense of being delivered over. He's not guilty of anything. 
My sense of justice will not allow me to kill him. I will punish him and that will be enough for the people. Of course, he washes his hands as if the guilt is upon you. We know about that. But Pontius Pilate did cave in. And in the uh, Apostles' Creed, mentions Pontius Pilate. You remember that? Historically, we, we know that there was there is definitely a man called Pontius Pilate. And that's a pretty good thing to put in there because right here in Scripture is a man, if, if people could have disproved that very early on, they could have destroyed Christianity. But all those names come up. There are reasons there are names that are specific names. They're real. They're true. So Pilate caves in the social, social position that he had was everything to him. He can't lose his job. But he tried. We, we see, he, really, he wanted to keep him from doing it. You know what? He could have. He could have. But it meant sacrificing his career. Because I can tell you, the Romans probably would have come in and said, you can't control this place. You're out of here. You know what? People today are modern pilots. They will go around saying that they believe in Jesus. And, oh, yes, he he's my Savior. But when it really comes down to living for Christ, whenever it becomes a position or a promotion or scholarly respect, they will reject this man, Jesus. So there's the social motivation. We have a, definitely have a political motivation. We've been seeing that. You, you think of uh, Barabbas, and I'm kind of going back in, in a little bit. Um, and we'll be over this real quick. But um, do you want me to release for you the King of the Jews? Of course, we've said that. And we think about this Barabbas. Seemed logical. Pilate really wanted to satisfy the crowd. And he did all this, appealed to the mob. Now, there are legends that grew up about Pilate aren't necessarily true. There are some really interesting ones. We know that he committed suicide. That's in history. That's recorded in history. Now, here's some of the legends. I think it's pretty incredible. This, this, this is about Pilate. Even though it looked like he was kind of a good guy, yet he was really not good. And we see what happens. And there are so many religious people. There are so many political people for social things whenever it's comfortable and okay to say Jesus that's alright we've had presidents do that we have one even now we'll even say maybe say something positive about Jesus you know then they'll do things totally against him but the body was taken out they said to the Tiber River when he committed suicide and that's the river that runs right through Rome and it says is but when the body hit the water, it, beca- it became the body of water became so disturbed by evil spirits that the body was removed. So they took it to Vienna, and they threw it into the Rhone River. And there's a monument there today that says Pilate's tomb. That's a legend, but that's not the end of the legend. The uh, the Rhone River, uh, according to the legend, rejected Pilate's corpse, and it was again removed and thrown into a lake in Switzerland. And it was taken out of that place because they didn't want it. It was removed to another mountain near another place in in Lucerne, Switzerland. It was a, actually a, a literal thing that they said that. A, 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 real, a real name of a lake. It's a uh, mountain near uh, Lucerne. 
Legod Depilato or something like that. Legend says that every Good Friday, Pilate's body emerges from the waters and he washes his hands. In contrast, there's a bizarre Ethiopian Orthodox, the church, kind of a cult, Tebalato, in the 6th century, they sainted Pilate. <laughs> it is Saint. Saint Pilate. Truth? Killed himself and his body dissolved and his soul is forever in hell. So he takes that final decision. Pilate did. Hand him over to be crucified. That's what he did. Matthew says the screams for Jesus to be crucified were so strong so relentless that Pilate feared a riot was starting. So we need to kill this innocent man, I guess. Matthew writes this, Matthew 27-25, And all the people said His blood be on us and our children. They took full responsibility for the murder of Jesus. One last thing. This is going to be quick. 16-20. Soldiers took Him and away into the palace, praetorium, called together the whole Roman cohort, that's like uh, 600. Going to make sure that the riots, there are going to be other people wanting to get Jesus out. Maybe you know they're all around there. They, they were accustomed, though, to crucifixions. They dressed him up in purple because that's the charge. So they go, ooh, let's, uh, let's have some fun, guys, before it's uh, time to take him up to the, the hill. Uh, they dressed him up purple after twisting the crown of thorns. They took, uh, it wasn't... Uh, Already made up. I'm sure that they just took thorns that was on a thorny bush, like a rose bush or whatever, you know, and started bringing it around like that, and just boom, crushed it on his head, and out flowed the blood there out of his uh, scalp and in the forehead and such. And and uh, they began to acclaim him, "Hail, King of the Jews!" We know about that as they mock him. They kept beating his head with a reed, and that sounds like oh, one of those, you think of what a reed that comes out of a swamp, you know, one of those flimsy things, you know. But actually, it means literally a stick. So they're beating him with a stick as they're doing all this. It's like a bamboo. The word is kalamos, and it's a bamboo-like stick that grow along the Jordan River and the Dead Sea and some places like that. And it's a word actually used for arrows. So it can be a firm, solid stick. So I I think the evidence here lends support to that. So they kept on hitting his head with a stick. Just take a yardstick that has a pretty good thickness to it and have somebody just keep beating you on the head. After a while, that starts to hurt. Just that with all the other things. It's nothing compared to all that's been done. It's going to be done to him. Um... Blood blood was all over him. He wants the people to see Jesus as helpless and pathetic and in need of some kind of compassion. So there they are. They're doing all their thing. They're even knee, kneeling and bowing down before Him. And you can see it. Aha! And they're, they're laughing. What a mockery that they're making of God. Right there. And uh, then they take off the, ro- the robe as they mock Him. They put His own garments on Him. And uh, they led him out to crucify him. Boy, blood all over him. And I'm sure that uh, Pilate was hoping that maybe the people now, you know, just before he gets taken away, but it's too late. The Son of God, the God of glory, of heaven, covered with blood, bleeding profusely, wounds across his back and all of his body and drops of 
blood, sweat coming out, streaking down his face and his neck and his face is just pummeled. Can't even recognize him anymore. Uh, Totally disfigured. What a cruel thing. Isn't that enough? Behold the man. There he is. The one who threatens you so much. Here's your king. Does he look like a threat to Rome? (laughs) Does he look like a threat to anybody? Look at him. Isn't this enough for an innocent man? This is our Lord. And foolish Pilate, a cowardly Pilate for his position. The people had tasted blood now. I mean, and once the animal tastes blood, flesh eaters, they aren't satisfied. They want more. They want the whole thing. These people are like beasts. The first test of taste, I guess, of flesh here, as they see this, that makes them want to go after the rest even more. Crucify Him. So we have our wonderful Lord taking that position. We know the crucifixion is going to be the ultimate thing, but folks... What he has just gone through, as we've seen the trials and the mockery and all the beatings, and this whole thing is a joke, and they're trying to make him look like a joke. It's all still part of the plan, predetermined. Only God would ever take that kind of punishment for us because we deserve that punishment because of our sin. And there he is before us. Bloody, beaten, a mockery. And we'll see next week the ultimate, the crucifixion. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your Word here. May this be touching to us, this old, old story. And renew our minds how fresh this truth is. And He took our place right there took our place in court, took our place at the crucifixion, our death, spiritually. He took our sins and He gave us the very righteousness of Christ which we have seen over all the chapters of Mark. He was perfectly righteous. He fulfilled the law in every aspect that could be done. A perfectly righteous man Thank You, Lord, for this plan. For that is the only way that we can be saved and recognize a holy God and know that we've been justified before You. In Jesus' name, Amen.